think it's something of a cameo of the spirit-filled church, the church that is driven by the power of God. And I want us this morning just to look at that for a few minutes. There There are four things that jump out at me as we look at that. But something that kind of overrides that is, is two words that are actually translated differently in our English translations, but they're the same word in Greek. And uh, just want to set the scene with the, these two words. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves. And then verse 46, they continued to meet together. Those two words in Greek are the same, and they basically mean continuing steadfastly, keeping on going. And I want that to be a real encouragement to each and every one today. Keep on going. Just as this early church, even in these early days, felt that sense of needing to keep on going. There's a house in the village here, just around the corner from the pub, that over 20 years ago, um, a gentleman started to build. And uh, he, he clearly had a great vision for this plot of land, nice plot of land. And he spent a lot of time and energy um, making sure that the drainage around the property would channel the water that goes through the village rightly so that his property didn't get flooded. And then he put a lot of time into putting the footings and the foundations down and started to build the walls. But if you go past there some 20 years on, the building is still at foundation level. I bumped into him a little while ago and I was chatting to him because he tends the garden beautifully. He works on the garden and keeps it really nice and neat. And I just, I was being nosy, I suppose, and said, so what's, what, what's, what's this all about then? And he told me a little bit of the story of how he wanted to build this house. And for one reason and another, he was prevented from continuing to complete the house that he wanted to build. And I sensed in his voice as, as we were talking a kind of real wistfulness, a real regret that it just hadn't been possible. I think ill health and various other things just had all kind of come in and and it was a big project for one man. And the house has never been finished. And I see in that a little bit of a picture of the church without the Holy Spirit at work. Because actually, you can be grafting away on all the bits around the outside, keeping the gardens looking nice and working jolly hard to keep the gardens looking nice. And yet somehow there's something odd about it because it's not quite what it should be. Because there should be a house there. And there's not. And so very often, I think... People can can kind of get involved in church and be grafting away. And yet there can be something missing. And it's just about keeping something going that isn't quite what it should be. 
And I wonder today whether we can just look at something of what the Holy Spirit-filled church looks like. And I hope you'll see encouragement that actually there are signs of this in our fellowship here. But there are also challenges for us people that we would continue to be attentive to the working of God in our lives and in our church so that we would never be a place that's never quite what it should be. So here we go. Let's have a look at the passage together this morning. Four features, I think, of the Spirit-filled church here in these few verses. First of all, it's a learning church. Secondly, it's a loving church. Thirdly, it's a worshipping church. And fourthly, it's a missional church. Those are the four things we're going to look at this morning that are really in this passage. So first of all, it's a learning church. Pretty obvious, straight at the beginning of verse 42 there. They devoted themselves, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Those who gave their lives to Jesus wanted to learn more and more. Not so that it was head knowledge, but so that it was heart knowledge, so that it was life knowledge, life-changing, life-enabling. They listened to the teaching of the gospel, as Peter expressed it earlier in chapter 2. They heard what Jesus had come to do, who he was and where he now was and is. And then they listened to how that then applied into their lives. It's the teaching that we now have in our New Testament. That's the apostles' teaching. As Paul, as we saw with the children, went out and shared the gospel and saw churches established. And he and Peter and the other apostles began to establish the early church. And then they saw, surprise, surprise, it was full of human beings, just like you and me. And actually, they still needed guidance and teaching. And so we have all of Paul's letters. We have the letter that that was written by an unknown writer to the Hebrews. We have James and Peter and Jude and John, who all wrote... And who all instructed the early church as to how to live their lives in the light of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And in the light of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the early church was a learning church. And we need to be the same. It's why we give time and emphasis on a Sunday morning to systematically try and work our way through Scripture, to try and highlight themes, to see what God is saying through the Bible, through the teaching of the apostles, how the apostles' teaching relates to Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, and how all of that relates to the Old Testament and what God had in mind for his people that he created. That's why we do this. And I'd really encourage you to hang in there and to listen. I'm so grateful to Steve 
that he, he records the, the sermons each week, whether it's mine or somebody else's, puts them on the website faithfully. If you kind of drift off at some point, which I can understand, you know, it's a warm day, it's, a, it's, it's perhaps not always easy. But go back and listen to it again on the website. Because then you can press pause. And I stop. Great. How about that? But please do continue to, to really listen to what we're trying to understand on Sundays. But it's not just that. It's about committing ourselves to Scripture day by day. And there are so many different ways you can do that. You can do that simply by picking up your Bible and reading. That, for some, is tough going. You can pick up um, all sorts of Bible study notes. Daily Bread is one that a number of people use here. There's all sorts of things that will come to your, your computer or your smartphone or your iPad that will come straight there and give you something that you can just look at from Scripture each day. There are podcasts that can come down and listen to them. Scripture is, is read by other people and you can listen to them. Please find ways of interacting with Scripture that work for you. Even if it's just one verse a day. We've got a little thing on the website, a word for each day. And it takes just a very small portion of scripture. Let that speak to you. But please, like this early church, let's be a learning church. Not just so we can stuff our heads full of knowledge, although knowledge is not a bad thing. Understanding the the vastness of what God has for us and wrestling with that is okay, that's good. But actually it's only really useful when it translates into our hearts and into our lives. So please, let us become a learning church just as the, the, these first Christians devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. That's number one then, first feature. Second feature is that the church was a loving church. Not only did they continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, but they also continued steadfastly in fellowship. Funny word that, fellowship. It is used outside of the church, but it is a bit of a churchy, jargony sort of a word, fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. And, and it has all sorts of meanings. But there's something of a thread to those meanings. It can mean an association or a partnership. It can mean a community. It can mean generosity. It can mean shared life and a close relationship. All of those things have a thread together of being in common with other people. John Stott, great, great preacher who died just a year or two ago, suggests that fellowship, to understand it, is something that we share in, but also something that we share out. So as we look at being a loving church, let's just look at those two things. What is it that we share in, but also what is it that we share out? What we share in is what gives us a common experience, what gives us this word fellowship. And what we share in 
along with Pastor John in India, along with Dave and Jenny in China, along with our brothers and sisters down the road and and across the way here, and, and wherever there are Christians meeting, what we share in is our relationship with God. Made possible not because of any goodness of our own, but by God's amazing grace. See, we share in the fellowship of an amazing God. We sung that this morning. A Trinitarian God. 1 John chapter 1 talks about our fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 13, speaks of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We share in the fellowship with God because of what Jesus did for us. We have an undeserved relationship with our Creator that we can share in. He is the basis of our fellowship. He's the one that we have in common. And however you're feeling this morning, I want you to hear that the God who made you loves you desperately wants to walk with you to bring out in you all that he made you to be the skills and the gifts that he has given to you so that you can continue to grow as part of his creation So he wants us to walk with him. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to worship him. And when we share in the love of God, we're given something then to share out to other people in our relationship with others. Peter, uh, Luke, sorry, picks up on something pretty Pretty striking in verses 44 and 45 that we share out. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as they had need. See, out of fellowship, one key meaning of which is generosity. Out of fellowship and out of relationship with God. They were enabled to see need and meet it in that setting. And it was pretty revolutionary stuff. There's another passage that comes in a couple of of chapters that picks up on this theme, and we may delve a little bit deeper into it then. But there's a pretty revolutionary perspective that's just spoken of here that speaks about what we have. I was reading a book by a chap called Jim Graham. don't know who he is. And uh, he wrote about this particular idea of, of, of sharing our possessions, our, not just our material stuff, but our time, our gifts. And I'm just going to read you a little bit, because I think it's really helpful. 
He says this, I've discovered that in most churches there are often five attitudes towards possessions in the context of fellowship. There are those who conclude that it's quite legitimate to say what's mine is my own. I've earned it, saved it, legally been given it, it belongs to me, it's mine. Understandable as that may well be, but legitimate within Christian fellowship, it can never be, however human and natural that is. But it's either implicitly or overtly quite a firm conviction of many Christians in the Western world. Second attitude is what is yours is mine. How often this form of blackmail is foisted on the church. It creates guilt and confusion among Christians when a needy one demands this kind of response. However, privilege is based on responsibility. And Christian fellowship is motivated by love and not by a harsh, demanding legalism. Christian generosity is the spontaneous expression of the love of Christ from the heart which is never imposed from without. So there's two attitudes. What's mine's my own. What's yours is mine. Third attitude, what's mine is yours. Well, that's beginning to get a little bit more into the line of, of, of what... I believe we're looking at. But there's a third one, which is what's mine is ours. A sense that that actually what's mine is, is there to be shared. And again, that's kind of getting there. But actually, where we end up with, and the attitude that, that is expressed in, in, the, in the book of Acts, is actually this one. What's mine is God's. What's mine is not my own. It actually belongs to God. It's a lovely story told by a guy called Juan Carlos Ortiz, an Argentinian pastor. And he speaks of the the story that Jesus told of the pearl of great price. I'll just read you that story because it's far better told by him than by me says this, the Bible said that the kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of real worth, he sells everything that he has to buy that pearl. Now, according to traditional thinking, man is the pearl of great price and Jesus, the merchant, who sells everything to make the purchase. But actually, I understand that he is the pearl of great price and the man Us, we are the merchant. So when a man finds Jesus, it costs him everything. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity. Man marvels at such a pearl and says, I want that pearl. How much does it cost? And the seller says, it's too dear. It's too costly. But how much? Well, it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it? Of course, anybody can. But you say it's too expensive. How much is expensive? It costs everything you have. No less, no more. So anyone can buy it. I'll buy it. 
What do you have? Let's write it down. I've got $10,000 in the bank. Good. $10,000. What else? I've got nothing more. That's all I have. Nothing more? Well, I've got some dollars in my pocket. How many? I'll see. 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, 120. 120 dollars. That's fine. What else do you have? I have nothing else. That's all. Where do you live? I live in my house. The house too. Then you mean I need to live in the garage? You have a garage too? That too. What else? Have you got a car? I have two. Both become mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you have the house, the garage, the cars, the money, everything. What else? I have nothing else. Are you alone in the world? No. I have a wife and two children. Your wife and children too. Wife and children too? Yes, everything you have. What else? I have nothing else. I'm left alone now. Oh, you too. Everything. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, garage, cars, money, clothing, everything. And you too. Now you can use all those things while you're here. But don't forget that they are mine. Just as you are mine. When I need any of those things that you're using, you need to give them to me. Because I am the owner. That's pretty powerful stuff. But it's exactly what Jesus was talking about. When he said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. You see, a loving church, a church that wants to share out, shares out because they are so struck by the love of God. They're so indwelt with the Holy Spirit that they they don't want to grasp a hold of anything, but they want to be able to use what they have to serve others. Such a practical example of fellowship, of sharing ourselves with others right here in Acts. Do you know, fellowship can often, in Christian circles, be reduced to just meeting together. Just being together. That can often be what people think fellowship is. And of course fellowship is partly about meeting together. You can't do it on your own. We need to be together to have fellowship. But meeting together, fellowship is not an end in itself. Fellowship is is demonstrating the love and generosity of God. It's actually about being the body of Christ. See, fellowship for its own sake can become terribly introspective. Actually, it can become very unappealing to anyone on the outside if it's just about meeting with other Christians. It can become really legalistic and cold, quite the opposite of what we see here. In fact... It can look a little bit like that house I described. Where there's kind of something going on, but it's not quite what it should be. 
But you know, fellowship can be so energizing, so enriching, so enabling. As we see God at work, I wonder, how do you see fellowship? Two other brief things this morning before we we close. The third feature of the Holy Spirit Church is that it's a worshipping church. As they met and they learned and they shared their lives together, they worshipped God. It wasn't simply a once a week thing, if that. It wasn't simply about a formal gathering, though that was important. It was daily. Their worship was daily. It was both formal and informal. They met in the temple courts. They shared prayers together. And it seems that that word prayer in verse 42 actually is, in Greek, the prayer. Wonder whether that was actually about prayers that were known and shared and formalised. So it was formal and there was opportunity to meet formally like this. But it was also worship that was informal. There was the breaking of bread, which understandably we would immediately think of as communion. Which immediately, understandably, we would think about as we gather together as church on Sunday. But actually, in the early church, the breaking of bread was often just a part of a meal. And as Jesus gave that meaning... They sat in their homes and they broke bread together and they remembered Jesus even as they shared a simple meal together. And they gave thanks and they worshipped. So whether they were at the temple or in their homes, they were conscious that God was in their midst. The Holy Spirit-filled church is a worshipping church. I know for us today, life is actually very different in so many ways. Even though we are still the same human beings. But we are more geographically dispersed. Life is more packed. We've got so many more things that are kind of bearing down on us. The technology that we have and many of us love is both wonderful, but it also puts pressure on us. There's pressure at home, there's pressure in the workplace, there's pressure from friends and family and all sorts of situations. And it's dead easy for us to be diverted from giving God our worship in our homes, in our workplaces. It's so easy for worship to become a kind of a giving lip service. Maybe just once a day, maybe not even, maybe just once a week, maybe not even, maybe just once a month, maybe not even. But worship, as we see here, was not a duty. It came out of the consciousness that God was in their midst. And we need to help one another to continue steadfastly as we worship, not just 
worship by singing songs or praying prayers or reading our Bible, but living our life in the consciousness that God is right here beside us and he wants us to serve him and honour him with all that we have and all that we do. So the church was a worshipping church, a loving church, a learning church. But it was also, really importantly, a missional church. You see, we often look at verse 42 and see all those bits and forget about the end there, 47. Yes, through preaching, through the lives of those in the church, through their love and through their generosity, God enabled others to come to a saving faith in Jesus. There was something dynamic about their lives that didn't content themselves with a kind of a nominal adherence to a club, but actually to a saving encounter with a living God. And it was an ongoing, everyday thing. We've kind of got into a mindset, I think, that mission is about kind of like a special week where we do mission, where we go out and we we do events and we, we maybe knock on doors or we do various things. None of those things are bad things, but they can lull us into a full sense of what mission is about. Mission is about our daily lives. It's not just my responsibility, it's our responsibility. The Stable Cafe is mission. As we serve coffee, as we clean the floors and clean the toilets, as we wash up the dish towels and iron them beautifully, as we bake cakes, that is mission. Because it's an opportunity for us to live our lives alongside those who do not know the Lord Jesus. Our workplaces, our homes, are places where mission happens. That's what was going on in the early church. And the Lord added to their number daily. Now let's not be despondent where we don't see people added to our number daily. But let's hear that actually we need an expectation that daily we are on a mission. And we will see opportunities to share the love of Jesus. Often in our actions, but also in our words. Remember, God loves you. God wants you to live for him. Not just so that you might know him better, although he wants that but so that others might see him in you. Wouldn't you like God to help you to transform those ugly bits of your character so that he's the reflection that others see, not those bits? I think it's dead exciting to see that we can be on a mission as we go from here, as we go into tomorrow, whether we travel to India or whether we tra- travel to Isle Abbots, doesn't matter. We're on a mission. Here is a cameo of the Spirit-filled church where there's an openness to learn, a God-given love for others, 
a willingness to share life together, a consciousness of God's presence that requires our worship and an expectation that God will use us to draw others to himself. I wonder, maybe just one of those things has got you thinking today. One of those things has encouraged you or challenged you. Let's just take a moment before we respond in prayer and uh, in song. Where is God speaking to you about church? About learning? About mission? About fellowship? About loving one another?